Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Good morning, those who are here. We thank God for another Sunday. It's uh, The hour went one hour forward yesterday, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to catch up with time. Well, thank God for today. Thank God for another day. We'll go ahead and start with a prayer. Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you are to us. Thank you, Abba Father, for the grace that we have, oh God, to be gathered together in your name, to come and worship and in adoration before you, for there is no other God like you. There is none besides none except you. We just lift you high. We enthrone you in our hearts. We enthrone you in this space. We enthrone you in this moment. We say, oh God, be magnified, be glorified. Give us ears to hear your word today, Father. Give us a heart that is fervent for you. Give us a heart that understands, oh God, that we may always cleave to you. Let us not just be hearers of your word, but let us be doers, bringing glory to your holy name. Father, I pray uh, that you will use me this morning, oh God. Even as I speak your word, I also ask, oh God, for an understanding, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of in-depth understanding of the level of love you have for us when you created all these things from the foundations of the earth. Father, we just say, teach us this morning. Be our teacher. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Be present here. And we thank you for the grace you've given us to come and learn at your feet. Thank you for that grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, okay, yes. Hey. Your voice. My voice? Yeah. What happened? Hello? Oh, put it off. Hello? Okay, that's better. Okay. <laughs> All right, so good morning. Um, we are going to continue with our discipleship class. Um, I'll do a quick recap of yesterday, for, uh, of last week. For those of you who weren't here last week, um, we'll talk a, a quick bit about what we kind of went into last week, and then we're going to talk about this week. So I have a lot to unpack, and I pray that God gives me the grace to unpack this in a way that is uh, understandable, in a way that is simple enough, the simplicity of the word um, that, can, uh, that can bring life to us, okay? All right, so last week we started talking about, actually two Sundays ago, we started talking about the kingdom of God. We started talking about how Jesus, when he began his ministry, began to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and next to that is repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does repent mean? Turn from your ways. Turn back from your evil ways for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we began to look at what does the kingdom mean? What does the kingdom of God mean? Our key, uh, our key verse was from 2 Chronicles 13 uh, from verse 8 to 12. We will remind ourselves of that verse again. It's about the children of Israel. When the line of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, was going to uh, war with the northern kingdom of Israel. When Israel wanted to fight against Judah, the kingdom of Judah said to them, We are the kingdom of God because we do X, Y, Z. So... We'll go ahead and remind ourselves of that key verse, 2 Chronicles 13, from 8 to 12. All right, and I can read this one from 8 to 12. And now, this is, uh, this is Rehoboam, right? Uh... And now we, you, you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hands of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude. And there are with you golden cows, which Jeroboam made you for gods. So Jeroboam is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he has made golden cows for the people of the northern kingdom to worship. And he's coming to war against uh, Rehoboam, who's king of Judah, right? Uh, so, he said, Which Jeroboam made you for gods? Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of all the lands, so that whosoever should consecrate 
himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. So first, the other kingdom has priests dedicated to idols that are obviously no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business. And they burn in unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices, sweet incense, the showbread also set there, they in order upon the pure table, and the candlesticks of gold with the lamp thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but we have not forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you, O children of Israel. Fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye will not prosper. All right. So uh, a couple of things that we, we uh, are going to delve into this week is uh, the golden candlesticks, the burning of the incense. But we'll continue with recapping what we talked about last week. So last week we talked, we looked into the book of Samuel. We looked, talked about Samuel's lineage and how the fact that he is also um, a priest and um, he, he, during the time of Saul, we kind of did a separation between how Saul decided to want to take the priesthood by sacrificing himself. And um, we also looked at what's the difference between both kingdoms. Why one kingdom is considered as the kingdom of God because they followed in God's ordinances. And the other kingdom were considered no longer the kingdom of God because they followed in their own practices. So the difference is following your own Desire versus following on God's commandments. Okay, so today we're going to look at a, a lot of uh, a lot of scriptures, and we'll start with Psalm one 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 zero verse four. Who wants to take that? Psalm one hundred and ten verse four. Spring, do you have that? Psalm the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. So we looked last week at how Jesus is our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, right? We talked about John the Baptist um, baptizing Jesus and how the baptism itself was a symbol that was prior to um, the days of Jesus because it was only the priests uh, and, the, and the Levites before they served before the, the altar. They were the ones who kind of did water oblation, meaning that they washed their hands, they washed their feet. Um, but the whole idea of baptism didn't actually start with John the Baptist. It started with the priest, with the priest themselves. So um, we'll go uh, to two more scriptures before we kind of look at what the high priest looks like. Again, we're saying that everything is a foreshadow of who Jesus was, his personality, his position as our high priest before God in the order of Melchizedek. So we're going to look at the high priest today and what the high priest does in the temple. Uh, but let's look at two different uh, scriptures in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verse 24. Hebrews 7, But he continues in an unchangeable. But this man, because in a, he continues in an unchangeable priesthood. This is talking about Jesus being again a high priest that is not changeable, right? The old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, was changeable, meaning that son passed it on to son, father passed it on to son, and then it continued from generation to generation. The sons of Aaron were the ones who served in the high priest uh, office, and the Levites served them. So one thing I have to mention. Uh, is that all priests are Levites, right? But not every Levite is a priest, right? Do we understand that concept? Meaning that, you know, so there were, there were three sons, or there were two sons and one daughter. So there was Miriam, there was Moses, and there was Aaron, right? The sons of Aaron are all Levites, but Aaron had different, uh, Korat, then he had Abihud. Two of them died and two of them survived, right? And then the son of, um, the firstborn son is the one where the high priesthood comes from. 
which is the Kohat, Kohat's line, right? And then the other side. So it is changeable from generation to generation because the priests, obviously, they will die. But this man, the book of Hebrews is telling us that his priesthood is not changeable because he abides forever, right? Okay, so one more before we kind of go into the, um, into the priesthood office. Hebrews 2, verse 9. taste death never more and that's why his priesthood office is an abiding office right is an abide is an office that abides forever because he tasted death once that he should ascend to his office and taste that no more does that make sense all right so there's three offices there's the king the king's office right which is under the sons of david there is the high priest office, which is under the sons of Aaron. And then there's the Levit Levitical office, which is those who serve the high priest, right? And they offer, they are the ones who offer the incense. They are the ones who offer the burnt offerings. But first we'll look at what the tabernacle looks like, okay? Because the priests, they serve in the tabernacle. They served in the temple. Before there was a, before Solomon built a temple, um, there was a, it's, in Hebrew it's known as a mishkan. A mishkan is a dwelling place, all right? But let's look at when God commanded the building of the Mishkan, what he had said to Moses. And this is in Exodus 25, verse 8 to 9. So remember, the word is Mishkan, which means a dwelling. It's not necessary. Exodus uh, 25, uh, from verse 8 to 9. Okay, so this is God telling Moses on the mountain, according to what I showed you, right? And that's why the book of Hebrews specifically tells us that he was copying a pattern that he has seen from heaven, right? So according to the pattern that I've shown you, make a sanctuary that I might dwell among you. God's desire was to dwell in the midst of his people. His desire is to dwell in the midst of his people. So when he gave the order to Moses to build the, the sanctuary, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, it was so that he could dwell amongst them. So the Mishkan is uh, it's, it's broken into three different sections, right? You have the outer court, which is where the offering is done. The burnt offering that's where you have the bronze altar which is where the burnt offerings and the meat offerings are done then you have the holy place which has the table for the show bread the bread of the presence and then you have the golden candlesticks the menorah which the the lights are burnt on a daily basis and incense are offered um, also on on the on the altar on the golden altar okay so you have three things in there. You have the table of showbread, where the bread of the presence is. Remember when David was hungry and he went into the temple and he asked the priest, uh, do you have anything here for me to eat? Uh, all that I have here for you to eat is the consecrated bread, the showbread, which is not. And even Jesus quoted that and said, have you not read what David did when he and his men were hungry, how they went in and ate the bread that is not legal for anyone to eat other than the priest, right? So you have the bread of the presence, you have the menorah, which is the candlesticks, and then you have the golden altar for the burning of incense. And we'll look at these things. And then there was a veil, and that was the veil that got torn when Jesus was crucified. There was a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, what do we have? We have the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was made of gold. It had the mercy seat upon it and the cherubims who faced each other. And God said, I will meet you on the mercy seat, on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Why is it called the Ark of the Covenant? Because it housed the things that are the covenant that God has given to the people. The first one was the Ten Commandments. The testimonies is what it's called. It's called the Ten Commandments. That is God's word, his law. 
And then the second was the staff that bought it from Aaron, right? To show that God has chosen him as his priest to serve before him. And then you had the urn of manna, all right? The manna, which is the, the, the food that was fed to them while they were in the wilderness with God. All right, so now you have to remember that only the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, and he only did it once a year on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, okay? He only did it once a year. He never, no one ever went in there. Only the high priest went in there, and he only went in there once a year, okay? And the thing of the holy place where the incense is offered, there the priest would go in on a daily basis. And if you remember um, Zacharias, this was the part where he was burning incense, as was his duty during his time, right? In his own order. All right, so we will look at Exodus chapter 28 from verse 29. Um, one thing I want us to be aware of is the fact that when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he had to wear a breastplate that had the names of all the tribes of Israel. So he bore... Literally, he was standing as Israel before God, bearing the sins of the people, bearing everything that he came with their names before God, right? So let's look at Exodus 28, verse 29. Okay. So the priest always had to carry the names of the sons of Israel on his chest, right? Close to his heart and bear them before God. Let's look at uh, John chapter 6 from verse 38 to 39. This is Zachariah. Is it? No, it's not Zachariah. Hold on, let me get my facts right. John 6, 38 to 39. Okay. So uh, we're going to come back to this and talk more about this. But the reason why I want to highlight this here is because of when we're talking about the high priest bearing the names of all the sons of Israel before God in the Holy of Holies, we remember once again that Jesus is our high priest, right? And he is saying here that I've come down not to do my own will, but to do of the will of my Father who has sent me, right? And his will is that I not lose anyone that he has given to me. So he's bearing us all before God. And his will is not to lose any one of us, but to give us life and to give us resurrection on the last day, right? So it's just, I want you guys to see a mirror of what the priest does and what Jesus does as our high priest before God, right? Okay, so we'll uh, continue on to, um, we'll talk a little bit about some of the bronze altars for bronze offerings and, and compare the, the scriptures to this. So uh, for the outer court where we have the bronze altar uh, for burnt offerings and meat offerings, what happens is the, the priests will wash themselves uh, before they go to the altar. And we can see this in the book of Exodus. So Exodus, it's a really long verse, but I'll go ahead and I'll read it really, really quick. Exodus 40. Exodus 40 from 17 to 38. Exodus 40. Seventeen. To 38. Okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll start reading it and then we can. Okay, and when it came to pass in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was reared up and Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened uh, his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars and he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put a covering of the tent above upon it as the Lord commanded Moses. And he took and he put the testimony into the ark and set the staffs on the ark and put the mercy seat 
above upon the ark. So we said that the mercy seat was upon the ark, right? And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up, up the veil of the covering and covered the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded to Moses. So he set, up, he set the ark up first, then he put a veil to separate the holy of holies to, from the holy. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle, northward, without the veil, meaning outside of the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the candlesticks in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. And he lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil. And he burned sweet incense thereon as the Lord commanded Moses. And he set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle. And he put the altar of the burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle. So this is where the burnt offering was. So if we look at Hebrews, uh, I'm not going to finish all of it. You guys can read it all the way to 38, okay? But I want to look at Hebrews chapter 13. When we talk about the bronze altar um, for the, for the uh, burnt offerings and the meat offerings, if we look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. Hebrews 13, from verse 12, right? Hold on, let me see. Okay, so we should have started from 11. Let's read 11. So for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. So he's talking about the outer court where the, uh, the burnt uh, the, the bronze altar is for burnt offerings and meat offerings. He's saying that for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp, meaning outside the camp on the outer court. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, meaning outside the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. All right? For here we have no country city, but we seek one to come. So he is giving, he's showing you the picture that just as the animals are born in the outer court, they're slaughtered in the outer court, and then the blood is taken into the holy place. So also Christ had to suffer on the outside. Christ had to suffer in the outer court, in the outside of the city, in the outside of the city gate, that we, that he might sanctify us to himself as a living sacrifice unto God, right? So, and then let's look at John chapter 1 from verse 29 to 31. This is where John the Baptist identifies Jesus as, our, as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So, John chapter 1, 29 to 31. Oh, John chapter 1, from verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin, the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And 31. 
and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I Therefore, am I come baptizing with water? Right. So, John is testifying to the fact that this is the one that I told you about, the one that is greater than me. And it is because that he has to be manifest to Israel. That I, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I came baptizing by water. John is testifying that this baptism that I'm doing is so that this man may be revealed to you. This man who is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, right? Remember what we talked about, that in the, before the priest actually, in the, if you read the, the whole book of Exodus, Moses set up the water where they would actually wash themselves before they go and uh, present the, the animal in, uh, on the altar, on the burnt altar, right? Remember we talked about the fact that John the Baptist was from descended from the lineage of priests, right? Descended from the line of uh, Aaron's sons, and he also should have been a high priest serving in the temple. But no, he went about baptizing people at the River Jordan. Right? He didn't serve in the in the high priesthood. So there's a lot of uh, historical context that we might skip if you're not aware. At the time when Jesus came into play, we had passed over the Hasmonean dynasty, and the people who were now high priests in this instance, like Hafas. They're more of a corrupt lineage. They were no longer uh, descended from the lines of, of uh, Aaron, right? So uh, the priesthood itself was at this point already corrupt, right? Um, so it was, it was needful what John the Baptist was doing, that he wasn't serving in the temple. He, instead, he was on the, on the side of the Jordan in the wilderness, dressed with a camel's hair and feeding on honey and, and denouncing the corrupt... Um, regime that was in in place right now under the rulership of Herod right Herod and his sons um, okay so let's uh, continue first of all we'll talk about the holy place so the holy place we said that it's the in the holy place there was the table with the bread of the presence there was the golden candle stand which is the menorah there is the golden altar for the burning of the incense okay so we'll look at some scriptures here. It's mostly in the book of Revelations. Revelations chapter 1. From verse 12 to 13. And I turned to see the voice that spake to me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candles. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one went unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the past with a golden girdle. Amen. So the, the golden candlestick is the menorah. So the, the one that Moses built is in the same fashion as what he had seen in heaven, right? So the golden candlestick is the menorah that he saw, but instead, this time, he saw one like the Son of Man walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks, right? All right, so, um, and if you, if you, right now we're doing a Bible study every Wednesday on the book of Revelations. If you look at the book of Revelations, we talk about how Jesus talks about the stars being the church and the candle stands. Uh, when he talks to one certain church, he said, I'll come and take your lamp from its own place, right? We are part of that golden candle stand as the, as the church. Okay. Now look at the look at the uh, golden the altar of incense. We'll look at Revelation chapter eight, from verse one to five. Yeah, to five, yeah. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and the earth. What verse did you read? Uh, we read uh, Revelation chapter 8. Oh, 
yeah, Revelation chapter 8 from verse 1 to 5. So th- this is talking about the golden altar. The same golden altar where the high priest came and burnt incense, right? And we see the same pattern in heaven where the incense that is being offered is the prayers of the saints, right? So these are four shadows. Now when we pray as the body of Christ, as the church, our prayers are going up as incense before the golden altar, right? Okay, so let's look at uh, one more. Revelation 7, uh, 13 to 16. So this is the this is the promise. Just as he said in the book of Exodus to Moses, build me a Mishkan that I may dwell amongst my people. We see here in the book of Revelations, God saying that when the great tribulation is over, those who come out of the great tribulation, who have washed themselves in the blood of the lamb, that God will dwell in the midst of them. So God's desire has always been to dwell in the midst of his people. And what does it say? It says they serve continually in his temple. And that's why it also said that he has called you to be a nation of priests unto the Lord your God, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? Okay, so now let's talk about the Holy of Holies. So there is a veil between the, the holy place and the Holy of Holies. And then we talked about the fact that the priest only goes in once a year on Yom Kippur, right? So if you look at Matthew 27, verse 51, it tells you that the veil was split from top to bottom after Jesus died on the cross, signifying that it is no longer uh, a priest that has to go in once a year, right? The holy place is now open, right? The priest can now go in and out, right? So Matthew 27, 51. And the bigger Hebrews then said that let us go boldly before the throne of grace or obtain mercy, right? Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slaughtered. So Matthew 27, 51. And the whole the veil of the temple was from the top to the bottom, and the earth is great and the rocks. Sorry, this is King This is what? It's King Oh, it's King Do you want me to change it? It's all for you. You can change it. I usually use either RSV or um, Tree of Life. Oh. Yeah, TLV. All right. Okay, so let's... Uh, so, what, what was I saying? The, the Holy of the Holies, after the temple, the veil was rent, it, sh- it signifies that the, it's now that Christ has granted access to the Holy of Holies, right? Where we have the Ark of the Covenant, where we are able to meet with God face to face, fall before his uh, throne in worship before him, in true worship, right? And we said the Ark of the Covenant was the thing that was in the Holy of Holies. And in that, in that Ark of the Covenant was A, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, which is the Book of the Covenants, right? And that's why it's called Ark of the Covenants, because it's the covenant of God between God and his people. The law, the ability to keep his word, right? It is overlaid with gold and have the mercy seat on top. And what does it say? God says, I will meet you on the mercy seat, right? Where God meets us is on the mercy seat. And why have we obtained mercy? Through Christ. Christ who has gone into the Holy of Holies. Let's look at Exodus 16, 33 to 35. Don't worry, I will soon finish. Exodus 16, 33 to 35. 
slipped to error. Take the job for a government of monarch unit. Then place it before the Lord to keep for the generations to come. And the Lord commanded Moses Aaron to put the manner in the tables and the covenant law so that it might be preserved. Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canada. Okay. And there is one okay thank you amen all right so this this shows the instruction of when god told moses to put the the bread the the manna right into the the ark of the covenant right so we're going to specifically look at what jesus talks about that ark of um, that manna that he is the true bread that comes down from heaven right so again, we know that John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when God gives his Ten Commandments, that's his Word. He wrote it with his own fingers, right? Uh, upon the tablets. That's his Word. And we see Jesus being represented as the Word of God as well. The Word that is in flesh. It's also testified in the book of Revelation. But now we will specifically look at when Jesus begins to testify that he is that manna which you should feed on, and you will live, right? So remember, we have... The, the Ten Commandments, which is the Word of God in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. We have the manna in an urn, which is also the bread of life, which God fed the children of Israel with in the, in the wilderness. Now we're going to look at what uh, Jesus testifies about himself being that bread of life that comes down from heaven. So John chapter 6, first we'll look at 35 to 39. Uh, John chapter 6, 35 to 39. I'll, I'll go and read this one. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast off. For I am come from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which he hath sent me, that all of which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Right? All right. Uh, who wants to read uh, the, same, the same chapter, the same John chapter 6. Let's read 48 to 51. Okay, also read uh, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 58. The same chapter, verse 58. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your father, fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Okay, so he's testifying at this point. People are listening to him, and, <laughs> and then I'm like, this is a really tough subject to understand but he's speaking about the things that are in the covenant the covenant that he's making remember he said that this is my blood of the new covenant which is given for you right the ark of the covenant is the ark of testimony covenant covenant is a sign right it's a compact something that you're caught in blood and it has to be upheld it has to be kept right it cannot be broken so if he's saying that he is that bread that is within the covenant that you have now uh, with god so we'll look at one final uh, verse before we kind of end today's, um, today's subject. So Zechariah chapter uh, 6. Again, if you look at the, the third thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant is the rod of Aaron, right? The rod that blossomed, right? But if we compare that to Jesus, right? We talked about, there was one time during the series, we talked about how um, uh, the psalmist talks of uh, your rod and your staff, 
that he comfort me. And when Jesus was also talking to Paul, he says, you cannot kick against the gold. When he's talking to Paul, when he was calling Paul, he said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you persecute. You cannot kick against the gold. Who understands what that gourd means? You cannot kick against the gourd. You cannot kick against the gourd. So the thing that he's uh, referring to is actually the stuff that you use for controlling animals. When you're rearing cattle, if your animal is trying to go the wrong way, it cannot kick against the rod that you're using to direct it. That is what he's saying to Saul. That if I'm trying to direct you like, like a herd, like an animal, you can't kick against it because if you kick against it, you're hurting yourself, right? That's what he's saying there. So, since I don't has a face that is quite, are you sure? <laughs> no, 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 I agree. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna make sure that I'm, I'm making sense here. So. He, when he's saying that, he's talking about the rod that is used for directing the sheep. So when we, yeah, the staff. So when we talk about uh, the psalm is saying that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They preserve me. Dear though I walk through the valley of shadow, that I will not fear any evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? He's talking about the fact that Christ is, uh, is that rod, right? The rod that blows and the rod that is chosen by God as our shepherd. He's our shepherd. He's the one who directs us. He's our teacher. He's our rabbi, right? So we have to remember that that, even though the rod is indicative of the fact that he has put this rod, he has chosen the line of Aaron, Christ is the true representation of that rod. Because his high priesthood is one that does not end. It's the one that is of a higher order, right? Okay, so before we end, let's look at Zechariah chapter 6. Uh, from Yes, it's 13. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be the king of Who understands what he's saying? Well, I just want to hear what you guys picked up first before I started going into detail. What do you feel like he's saying, Spring? I'll give you guys a picture. They just came out from Babylon and they had begun to build the temple, right? They've begun to rebuild the temple. But at this point, when Zechariah is prophesying, he's saying to, his name is Joshua here, but it's actually Yeshua in Hebrew, right? He's saying to Yeshua, he's saying you are for a sign, right? That God is setting you up as a sign, as an omen to the people, right? And then he calls him, this is the man who will be the branch. The branch is the same thing. The rod that is budded, it's, it's, it's also a branch. This is the man that is the branch, right? But Yeshua is also a high priest. And God is saying to Zechariah, take silver and gold, get a crown, place it on the head of Yeshua, right? The high priest. The high priest has never been king. He's not from the lineage of David, right? He's saying set a crown on his head, 
and prophesy and say this to him. Behold the branch, right? He will shall build the temple of the Lord, right? But he shall go out of his pray, place and he will rule upon his throne. A high priest does not rule as a king. But this is a foreshadow of who Jesus is to come. Who is a priest, a high priest, and a king. He says here, and the two, the council of peace shall be between the two. The priest and the throne. Upon his throne, and he shall be priest upon his throne. Right? He shall be priest upon his throne. Remember, Joshua the high priest was never king at any point. This is a foreshadow of Christ that is to come. When we're reading the book of Revelations, every time you read that they're serving in the temple, you also see before the Lord's throne. In the book of Revelations, you read and you see that the temple and the, the throne is in the midst of the temple. The incense that are being offered are before the throne. That is indicative of the high priesthood and the throne being one. Joshua the high priest was never king. Okay? He was high priest. Zerubbabel was king. It's symbolism. He, he tells him to take a crown and put it on Yeshua the high priest's head as a symbol that behold the branch. The crown itself, he actually went and bought a crown and he put it and put it on his head. But it doesn't actually mean he's the king. No, he's, he's, not, he's not crowning him in that instance that you are the king. He's given a prophecy that there will come a time, behold, a branch will come. Because the two offices will be one, right? And he calls this man, he says, behold, the branch. Okay? So are you understanding what, what, where we're getting to right now? This is the third testimony in the Ark of the Covenant. The branch itself. First of all, Aaron, the branch, bought it, right? But now we see God calling Jesus himself the branch. So you have to, you have to look at the whole of the book of Zechariah to be able to understand the, what he's prophesying about, what is to come, right? Making sense so far? It's making sense very clearly to look into this work. I feel like I'm not getting it. Completely. The coming of, yeah. You know, so, but then again, Jesus himself wasn't technically a king either. He's a king eternal. Right, but, you know, the one that earthly, like an earthly king that people... Well, this is, this is, this is, this is, like, when we're talking about discipleship, right? We're not talking about earthly kingdoms, right? When Jesus begins to say the kingdom of God is at hand, he's not talking about an earthly kingdom, right? No, I understand that, but so in this sense, the crying of Yeshua or Joshua, that's also not something that would be recognized technically by man as, you know. So, so once you read Zechariah, you're going to understand two things. Zerubbabel was king at that time. He wasn't really king, he was governor because Israel was under the rulership of Babylon at the time, right? So he was governor. The kingship, the whole idea of kingship was kind of just faded away because they were under Babylon, right? Zerubbabel was the one that was governor. He was the one that was descended from the line of David, right? Yehoshua, Joshua, as it's translated in English, right, is from the lineage of the high priesthood, right? So he's a high priest. Zechariah is a prophet. A prophet has no power to crown anyone. But God gave him a, it's called an omen, a sign. What to go and do? I want you to take, buy a crown, and I want you to say it on this man's head. When you begin to see Zachariah prophesying uh, to Zerubbabel and to uh, uh, Joshua the high priest, he says that if you follow my commandments, you will be a sign for this people, right? And they will know that I, the Lord my God, has sent you, right? So he's beginning to use Yahushua the high priest as a sign to the people, as a testimony to the people. When you see um, Orthodox Jews uh, starting to talk about Mashiach ben Joseph, Mashiach ben, uh, ben David, 
maybe Messiah that comes from the line of David and Messiah that comes from the line of Joseph. They're mostly looking at the book of Zechariah. Right? And they look for that the Messiah, they say he's going to be called Yeshua because Yeshua the high priest was the sign, was the woman. But we already know Jesus' name is Yeshua. Right? So these are things that if you read the book of Zechariah, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, go ahead and earn because we've, uh, we've really gone far today. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, there is so much that is hidden, so many mysteries, oh God, that you make known to us. We pray, oh Lord, that the things that you reveal to us, they remain and abide with us, that we have understanding of them and that they bear much fruit in our lives. If there is ever a time, oh Lord, where we have to, if there ever comes a situation where we question our faith, Father, oh God, let your word be so abundant in our hearts, oh God, that it will immediately be squashed. Father, oh God, glorify your name in our lives. Let your word, oh God, come as water to wash, to refresh, to feed, to feel us, to equip us. Equip us for such a time as this, oh God. We glorify you. We thank you for giving us revelation from your Holy Spirit. We ask, oh God, that you continue to feed us, that you continue to um, teach us, that you continue to abide in us, to dwell in us, even as you did ask Moses that you, to build you a Mishkan, that you may dwell in the midst of your people. The Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we lift ourselves onto you as living sacrifices. Sanctify us, O oh God. Make us worthy vessels for the glory of your holy name. Thank you for this hour. We lift the rest of the service to you and we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.